Welcome to another episode of Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you be the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and on this week's show, Steve and I speak with Michael Kitsis. If you're not familiar with Michael, you may be alone because he has earned an extraordinary following in this industry. Now, Michael is someone I would describe as intensely curious, and that drives his passion for learning, which it turns out is a huge benefit for the industry. Michael is the Director of Wealth Management and a partner with Pinnacle Advisory Group. In his spare time, he writes the Kitsis Report, an advanced educational newsletter for financial planners, and attracts 200,000 unique visitors or more every month to his blog, The Nerd's Eye View. He's one of the most active people I know in this industry, and it's probably worth pointing out that he holds eight degrees or designations. In this episode, we focus in on where referrals fit into the overall marketing strategy for advisors, and we go deep on leveraging thought leadership and content as one of the most effective tactics to drive growth. And let's face it, Michael knows a thing or two about how to make that work. And with that, let's get on with the interview. Well, Michael, such a pleasure to have you today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Love love talking about all things referrals and referability. So I'm I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Well, awesome. you know, that's that's a that's a good entree because I was going to say, you know, you write about a lot of different topics, right? And uh, I don't know if you always remember what you write, but I'm going to take you a few years back in your blog because um, you've talked hopefully, about referrals a few I'm times. Gonna regret and, and, too much here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do you remember when you said? Yeah. Um, so this is going to be the greatest yeah. hits episode. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I, I, I did read, you know, a post going back a few years and I thought it was, it was, you know, it was quite a lively post in that you were taking a shot at something that people really was just traditional wisdom. And you, you essentially said, is referral marketing really a best practice? And, and more specifically, uh, you know, you said, look, the, the truth when you look at the data is that that growing a practice by referrals is simply all that's left over for most advisors when they don't otherwise have marketing strategy at all. And then you've talked about that theme a couple of times in a couple of different ways. So I'd love to know, just to kick us off, like today, where do you see the importance of referrals in that overall marketing mix for advisors? Well, you know, so I, I have to come at this from a from a couple of directions. You know, the And I think the first distinction I make is, is there's a huge difference between what I'll call passive referrals and active referrals. So passive referrals, frankly, is a domain that I think most of us live in as financial advisors. It's it's sort of fundamental wisdom and approach. Serve your clients well, and they'll like you, and they'll talk about you to their friends, and then you'll get more clients. And, and we grow our businesses through inbound passive referrals by just trying to serve our clients. And And I distinguish that from what I'd call active referrals, which is having some kind of proactive strategy about how that's actually supposed to happen beyond just saying, hey, I'm going to serve my clients well and and, and hope that they refer me. Uh, whether that's, you know, you do like a very outbound referral networking approach or you ask every client for referrals or just you have a, a, a combined marketing strategy that's meant to drive a volume of inbound referrals to your niche or expertise. So it's it's the passive referrals 
that seems to still be the dominant mode in the in the industry and is the one that I, I take most issue with that you know so many studies we still see one day after another the data comes out and it says the most common way that a virus advisors generate new business is through uh, referrals and then you go deeper into some of the industry benchmarking studies and you know, the, the data has been really stable for years. The typical advisory firm spends one to one and a half percent of its revenues on marketing. Most firms that I know that even spend a little bit of money on marketing, their primary marketing event is really just a client appreciation event uh, where you bring in existing clients and you hope that they extra, extra love you to to give you some referrals. And so basically – most firms do no actual marketing in any way, shape, or form. So there is no possible way that any client could ever find them to do business with them unless they happen to get referred. And then the conclusion is, well, the overwhelming majority of advisors generate all their business from referrals. I'm like, well, that, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a best practice. That just means when you deliberately, proactively refuse to do any other kind of marketing – of course, all your clients are going to come from referrals. That's the only thing that's left. But the problem is it might not actually be much growth. And and now that's what we're starting to see showing up in yeah. the latest benchmarking studies over the past year. We've seen two different benchmarking studies that have come out in the past 12 months that, have, that are now showing uh, referrals are no longer the top source of new business generation for advisors, that outbound marketing and business development – is actually overtaking it now with the caveat that that seems to be a small subset of firms that are getting really good at marketing and winning the lion's share of the business, while the majority of advisors by quantity are still in the same realm of, I'm just going to serve my clients really well and hope that they like me and send me a referral. But but that strategy is working less and less and less now. So Michael, then do you think that the problem is that we aren't good enough at getting referrals or that other forms of new business are just taking over? So I, I think it's really some of each. Um, I think the, honestly, the biggest culprit is just most of us are are not really good at at doing referrals. We don't like asking for referrals. It feels awkward. Uh, you know, so we just sort of rely on them passively and have this mentality that the more I just try to service my clients great, the more they'll refer me. And and for a lot of advisors that's worked in the past, in part because in the past, most clients didn't already have an advisor, or if they had one, it was someone that was really just selling them a product and and uh, and people figure that out pretty quickly, and so they were they were looking, and said, "Hey, do you know anyone?" And and the referral happened. Now, increasingly, we're in an environment where a uh, more and more clients are already attached to someone. I mean, even if they're in a quote self directed brokerage channel now, um, Schwab's got CFPs in their branches, Fidelity's got CFPs in their branches, Vanguard's got a CFP service. The the even the unattached self directed client has a lot more access to advisors than they did in the past. And if the client wants to go and actually search, even if they want to search for a referral, it rarely happens on a standalone basis now. Now searching for a referral might be, I ask three of my friends for three referrals, I get the referrals, then I go online, then I look up the advisors and I try to decide which one I actually want to follow up with and call. And so now all of a sudden, even the referral doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in the context of the rest of your marketing. And I think that the distinction now that we're starting to see is that referral referral efforts that don't actually have solid marketing backing them up 
start to break down. And and the reverse begins to happen as well, which is when you actually have built strong marketing for yourself, all of a sudden the referrals are actually less necessary in the first place because good marketing actually pays lots of dividends beyond just making sure that the people that get referred to you actually follow through and call you. And well, so that, and that's let, part of the split yeah, I think we're seeing. Yeah. Well, I, I'd also like to, to just clarify some something in here because I, I believe that you believe this, but I, I'm not sure that some of the audience necessarily does. It, because it for I think for some people, it's either you're asking for referrals or you're not. And that's, you know, that's the yin and yang of referral marketing when in reality, you know, referral marketing is a lot of different things. And, and you can you can be very active in your marketing plan without actually asking for referrals. And I'm not sure that a lot of advisors get that. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I even look at it in the context of of our own business and 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 my platform. You know, I I generate a regular flow of referrals. I've actually built most of my businesses entirely through inbound referrals because I hate with a capital H ever asking anyone for a referral. It feels horrifically awkward to me and I and I, and I don't like doing it. I don't like being on the receiving end of it, so I won't do it for people. Yet I, I basically generate all of my new business from inbound referrals. But I, I generate inbound referrals because I have an entire platform that I've built to demonstrate that I have expertise so that most people who find me, I mean, the, the inquiry I get is almost always the the same template. You know, uh, uh, found your article online because my friend Joe sent it to me, read it, thought it was really interesting, signed up for your list, been getting your stuff for a while. Uh, now I have a problem and I need some help and and I'd like to work with you. And so I would still call that a referral. I mean, that that introduction, that chain, that sequence of events started with my friend Joe sent me an article that you wrote, and which is a, right. a, a referral. Right. Like, hey, you should check exactly. out Kitsis. He, he makes some good stuff. But I didn't ask for that referral. I didn't go out and, and and solicit that referral. I brought that referral in by creating a platform that helps me to market in many different ways, one of which is it drives a lot of inbound referrals. And you know, I focus particularly in my writing for consumers on advanced retirement and tax strategies. And we work with people transitioning into retirement with about half a million up to $5 million. And so I've got a really clear vision of who our advisory firm works with, who I am writing for, who I'm trying to create content to demonstrate my expertise for and show them helpful things because I know eventually what happens. Some of them say, geez, this all sounds cool, but I need some help with this. And we can say, oh, well, we we do that. We'd be so happy to work with you. Uh, so all of it is built around referrals, but but not an ask for referrals. It's a earn the referral, be referable, generate the referrals that come into you with something more than just I just want to service my clients so well that they'll uh, take it upon themselves to tell all their so friends. So it sounds like, and maybe this is too nuanced, but initially, if you follow that example you gave, the, the, the referral was provided because there was content that was interesting. So I provided a referral to Steve to, uh, and I sent him an article that you wrote. I was really not necessarily saying, you've got to talk to Michael. I was saying, I just think this information is interesting. Um, so I was trying to solve that problem first and foremost. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the 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 referrals I get aren't, hey, you know, you, you should talk to Michael. It's, hey, here's a thing that Michael created that would be helpful for you. 
which the person just does because they want to be helpful to their friend. But lo and behold, effectively, that just means they just referred me as an introduction to their friend. And now their friend is going to start following a reading of what I do. And when I multiply that times an endless number of introductions, because of course you write it once, lots of people can read that and share that. I don't even have to ask for or solicit every referral. The the Just the multiplier effect when you do that systematically over time, as with almost any marketing strategy that you do systematically over time, the the, the compounding is, is, is really, really powerful. And so now we get to the but- point where there's a steady stream of inquiries, and, and I'm not working any harder to produce the, the content to showcase my expertise now than what I did two years or four years or seven years ago when we were first getting started. It's, it's just compounded itself by building a, a, a readership of people who share these articles over time. Well, and, and on top of that, you know, you're, um, you know, I just, you, you'd mentioned a minute ago that, you know, people refer for their reasons, not for ours, because they realize a friend has a need. And sometimes people need that little memory jog. So just sending things out, you know, assists them in referring. So instead of us asking a client, um, you know, who could, who do you know who could use my services? If we're consistently sending things out, I mean, to me, that's an active strategy because not only are you creating that library that, that reinforces your expertise, but, you know, there, there's, if you have enough people on that list, and you send out an article, you know, that let's say I send out an article and Julie gets it, you know, Julie might look at that and say, oh, you know, my friend Michael pr- should probably see this. And so it's a memory jog. That, so that's a referral too. It's not just, it's not just absolutely passing well, along something. That's, yeah. Well, and, and that's, and that's the nature of, of what I meant that like a, a good referral strategy is going to have marketing elements along with it. And once you're doing the marketing elements, they tend to pay off in many ways. So you know, in, in the most basic sense, I mean, for most of us advisors that have been in business for any period of time, and even if I, if I go back 20 years, we did a version of this back then. It was go to a networking meeting, get some business cards. Any business cards you get, you're going to add those people to your quarterly newsletter that you're going to mail to them once every three months. And ultimately, that was really nothing more than I'm trying to generate some referrals. And then to the extent that they're not ready to do business with me, business with me right now, I'm going to do some drip marketing. Uh, and and send them a quarterly newsletter, and so you know, as I view it, even in terms of the platform that I've built, I do the exact same thing. It's just I don't go to a networking meeting. I create a piece of expert content and put it out there for everyone to share with each other, and I don't sign them up for my quarterly uh, newsletter that I'm going to mail to them. I have them sign up for my mailing list, and I'm going to and I'm going to reach out to them daily or weekly just trying to provide things that are useful and helpful for them because I know when you do that over a sustained period of time, you build a, you build a connection to them and eventually when they actually want to do business, you know, who's going to be top of mind? Well, the person that they once got referred to who's been sending them an email every day for a couple of months. So just so I can maybe summarize, because a lot of this is very new for advisors, right? Doing this kind of thing. And I completely agree. This is this is true referral strategy, a modern referral strategy. It sounds like there are three components we need to get right. So let me just test this. One, we need content that is uh, meaningful and shareable. Two, our website needs to reflect who we work with so that when somebody gets that content and goes to the site and checks you out, they actually want to continue the conversation. And then three, we need some way, some tool and process to stay in touch over time. I mean, I'm kind of oversimplifying, but is that essentially what we're saying? Yeah, yeah, it is. And and 
you know, the a key part of it that I find a lot of advisors miss as well is just even down to number one, like what kind of content do you create that's 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 shareable? You know, I I the number of people that criticize even the platform and what I build as Kitsis just writes these interminably long articles, like no one wants to read that. <laughs> and it's kind of true. Almost no one wants to read that in full length, except for the people who have that problem and are really anxious about it and looking for someone that has clear expertise to differentiate that they're the one to work with. And they read the whole thing and then they contact me to do business. And and so we, I find we we seem to get stuck sometimes. It's sort of a you know, be careful what you measure or you or you start building in the wrong direction. Uh, you know, we write long content because I don't actually care the sheer volume and quantity of times it gets read and, and shared out there. I care that it reaches the people that might be interested in doing business. And the people who have millions of dollars of life savings and are trying to find an expert that can help them to solve their problems – they don't give their life savings to one someone that writes witty 400-word articles in three paragraphs. They give their money to someone that demonstrates expertise through in-depth content that really shows they actually know what they're talking about more than anybody else that they've gone and, and looked up online or been referred to. And so, you know, it, it's 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 not just about make things that are shareable as though the kind of the wittiest, funniest thing will go viral. It's about making something that's relevant and shareable for the people you actually want to reach, which at least for our audience are sophisticated retirees with substantial assets who have substantial problems that aren't going to be answered in a brief article. And if if all we imply is that we give brief answers because we write brief articles, you don't get any business from that. So you me- measure what produces business results, not just what produces uh, sharing activity. That makes me feel better because every time I sit down to write a 400-word blog, it comes out at 1,300 words. So uh, yeah. I like <laughs> it's, I just can't. it's okay to go it's okay to go in depth. Like it's yeah. it's okay that not everyone's going to read it because the people who really have that problem and are concerned about it, they're going to read it, yeah. and they do. And we have well, that's yeah, that's it. it. And, and- and I hear that from internet marketers and actually from fundraising professionals who who in from other industries, you know, that that you know, there were there was some discussion of of length of blog posts or length of correspondence and, and um you know, and, and the two hosts I think were laughing about, oh yeah, you know, those three thousand word posts, you know, who really reads those? Ha ha, nobody reads those. And you know, who really and they asked, Who who really reads those? And the guy who makes a ton of money doing it said, The people who buy, they read them. Yeah. yeah. And and 99% of the people won't buy. So I don't care about the 99%. I want the 1% who will. And that's where, and like you said, Michael, you know, it's um, people who are really looking for an answer, answer they're, they're looking for more than a superficial kind of evergreen general kind of a thing. They want some real answers. They, they, they want a real discussion of it. And so that's, if you write the, the, the 300, 400, 500 word article about especially about and I, I harp on this with advisors all the time don't make it evergreen and don't make it you know general be specific and be timely because if somebody's looking for an answer that's what they're going to be looking for so let me and then sorry go ahead well i was gonna say and then I, the other interesting effect that comes along with this and, and part of why i say good good referral strategies are are good 
marketing strategies as well. You when you create things like this, so you know, my effectively my business strategy is create ongoing valuable content for the people I might do business with so that either they'll do business with me or they'll share it with people they know who might ultimately do business with me. The the secondary effect that happens when you produce all of that content and you put it on the internet is search engines like Google also find it. And when people don't know who to ask for a referral, so they ask Uncle Google for a referral, Uncle Google refers a lot of business to me because high quality content, you know, Google search algorithms are built to try to figure out what's in-depth high quality content. In fact, there's, you know, now a bunch of research that's that's shown, you know, Google actually favors longer articles that are more in-depth because they figured out when people are actually looking for an answer, uh, they need something that's thorough. They don't want something that's superficial. And so, that becomes a, a sort of a jokingly another referral strategy from Uncle Google, but in 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 practice, it's it it means what we produce to create referrals by sending out these emails and social media updates about the about the content that gets shared with other people, also becomes a direct marketing strategy as well because people just search for this information online. And they find their way to our site, and then they've got more questions, and then they contact us, or they sign up for our list, and they contact us in a couple of months, and and that's where part of the business comes from as well. Because once you're once you're producing the stuff that helps the referrals, it tends to be good for the marketing as well in in many different ways. So, well, I always thought it was Ant Google, but but who knew? There you go. Um, <laughs> look, I guess the elephant in the room to some extent is, you know, a lot of advisors will hear this and, you know, will it will be like we've asked them to do brain surgery or something to sit down and create this kind of content. I mean, are there ways for people who maybe aren't natural writers or, or find that daunting to get content out that is still shareable, is still relevant, but maybe doesn't require sitting down and writing lengthy pieces? Well, absolutely. I think I think there are a number of different ways that that you can tackle this productively. Uh, you know, number one is the content needs to be created, and you know, if you want written articles, the articles need to be written. You don't need to write them. So, option one that I still know a number of advisors do is figure out what you want the article to be about, pull out a uh, your smartphone record you talking about the thing and then send that to an editor that can clean it up into a nice article. Uh, you know, the, the bad news of the modern internet age is it's obliterating most of the media industry. The good news of the modern internet age is there are an astonishing number of incredibly high quality writers out there who are unemployed and looking for work and would love to get paid to transcribe your articles into uh, uh, or your recordings about your expertise and make them into readable articles. And, you know, the reality is just you talking about a topic for 10 or 15 minutes will produce a two to 3,000 word in-depth article. It just, just, it, you just kind of got to stay on target for what you're talking about. So the, let's, let's pursue that. Let's pursue sure. that a little bit further. I, I think, you know, and I think that's a great idea, by the way. Um in addition to that, you know, I think Julie was also asking, you know, what what other kinds of ways can advisors make themselves referable? I mean, do you think that there are credible ways of doing that besides content marketing? Um, yeah. Or is content really a requirement? No, I don't, well, sort of yes and no. I mean, 
I don't think content is a requirement per se, but at the end of the day, if you want people to do business with you, at some point along the way, you have to demonstrate your expertise. You have to demonstrate that you actually have the knowledge and the capabilities to solve the problems that are stressing them and keeping them up at night to the point that they want to pay a bunch of money. And so eventually, in some way, you have to demonstrate your expertise, which which to me, I give the broad label of content. You need some kind of content at some point that actually demonstrates that you're an expert. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be written articles as a particular form. If you're better in front of the camera, you can do that with uh, video. If you prefer just talking and interviewing, you can do it with a podcast like this. Uh, if you're uh, better at, at, at talking to people but not being on your own, then you make it an interview format. If you rather just actually uh, wax philosophical about your expert views, then make it a solo podcast recording or, or just do video to the camera. So I... Ultimately, I think you you need some kind of, I'll say content and kind of air quotes broadly construed. You need some thing that you can put out there to show that you have expertise to create the trust that's necessary for someone to do business with you. But it, but it certainly hasn't have to be written. And there are lots of ways that you can adjust to play to your strengths. You know, most people are not as writing inclined as I am. And so they're not going to do at least the volume of writing that I, that I do, uh, but you know the frankly the more focused that you are the less you need to do that anyways uh you know there are some there was a, a marketing expert out there named Derek Halpern who made some waves a couple of years ago by pointing out that most marketers screw things up by trying to produce content every day or every week he literally just does one article a month at the most and then just spends all the rest of his time making sure that it really gets out there and build a tremendous business off of one thing a month to demonstrate his expertise. So, you know, it, it it certainly doesn't have to be the constant flow that people may see from a from a platform like mine. We've built up to that over time. But even if you go back and look at the really early archives of what I've used to produce, uh, you know, the articles were a little shorter. They didn't have supporting graphics. I uh, didn't explain things as well. They kind of wandered more and and you know the the truth as well is this is a skill that you refine over time as pretty much anything that out there that we do and so don't get overly anxious about trying to make the perfect thing from day 1 the truth is the first day you do it the only people who are going to read this anyways are your friends maybe a couple of clients you already know and your mom uh and your mom will probably be nice about it so you know, don't <laughs> don't put too much stakes on yourself about trying to make the most amazing thing the first time that you do this, recognize that you're going to grow into it over time as well. You, you just have to get started. Yeah. And maybe I can, this is such great advice because it's, I think we get caught in this, this perfectionism trap. I know I do with content and it's what stopped me from doing video for a long time. Uh, and I'm I'm trying to get past it because it it is just like let's just get it out there. People are far more interested in the ideas than having everything perfect. But um, maybe I could just pivot for a bit and talk about sort of beyond content. Uh, uh, is it the you know looking at the overall client experience? What do you think there are the things that really make advisors referable from the con from the client experience end? <clears throat> 
Yeah, but sort of beyond content, what are some of the the aspects of the business that you think are really important to driving refer, referrals? Well, so I so I look at this from again kind of two different directions. So the first is just you know what literally is the is the experience. You know what is it like coming in your office, sitting in your front room, going back to the conference room table, sitting down across from the table to have a meeting with you. What is what does that experience look like? Um, you know, I think for a lot of advisors, you know, there, there's a part of us that kind of we wish that stuff didn't matter, right? Like I'm the expert; you're here to hire me and work with me. So don't pay attention to the fact that you know maybe I don't have the fanciest office space or or uh, or the nicest paintings on the wall and things like that. And and not that you need to have high end, fancy, expensive office space, but that stuff matters. Uh, you know, the truth is. When someone is buying a very intangible service like financial planning, it's really like you can't take it for a test drive. You can't pick it up and play with it for a while. You can't buy it and then return it if you don't like it. It's a really high stakes decision with, and most people have very little to go on to figure out whether you're a credible expert. And so they're grasping for any clues that they possibly can about whether you're a legitimate bona fide professional. And that experience of what it's like meeting you and working with you, what does your website look like? What does your office look like? What do I see when I first walk in? How am I greeted uh, by the person behind the desk? What are you wearing and dress like when you come up to me? You know, you're, you're hoping to get my life savings. So what have you chosen to show as your first impression to me, the prospect? What does that conference room look like? You know, Even just as an advisor, if you never have you know, most of us, we always meet with clients in our conference room the same way. There's always the seat I sit at and then put the clients over on the other side of the table. Like, just go and sit on the other side of the table and actually even see what it feels like when you sit on their side. And and I've actually heard a number of advisors that did this and, and discovered all sorts of things. Like, wow, when you sit in that chair in the middle of the afternoon, all you see is this uh, uh, stuff going on outside the window behind me over my shoulder that I never realized. Like, no wonder my clients can't focus. They're just looking at what's going on in the <laughs> the building across the street. I know one guy that did it and then discovered that um, his cleaning staff had damaged the painting that sits behind him. And because he always just comes in the door and immediately sat in the chair in front of him, and the client sit on the other side of the room, he literally hadn't looked at the painting that's right behind him for the past month. And the thing had a giant blemish because they like splashed some kind of cleaning solvent on it. So, you know, you're imagining the client saying they're like, this person says I have a great attention to detail and really focus on all the issues for you. And you're looking behind them at a painting that's blemished from the cleaning crew that they couldn't even figure out was damaged kind of undermines the confidence. So just just seeing what that client experience is like is really powerful. The The second piece that I would add to this is, you know, what makes a great client experience really depends on what kind of client it is that you're trying to get in the first place. And, and you know, the truth is this permeates everything from the client experience to the referral marketing strategy uh, to all the rest. You have to have some kind of focus of who you're trying to work with. And, you know, most advisors I know are terrified to do this because all they can think about is if they get focused – all of the people that aren't going to say yes to them because they're they're you know the person they're talking to isn't in their target and what they miss is the sheer number of people that get referred to them and don't even bother to call and follow through now or go to their website and don't contact them because the marketing material is already so not compelling but you don't realize all the people who never call you and so 
finding that focus of who really do you want to work with matters immensely, right? If I'm going to specialize in retirees, like uh, I'm going to put a different kind of magazine in my conference room table. I'm going to print my plans with a larger font size. Uh, I'm going to handle communication differently because they're more likely to want phone calls and face-to-face than emails and text messages. What you do for your target client permeates through everything, the experience, the referral marketing, and the rest. And if you don't have a clear understanding of who exactly it is that you want to serve, what what you'll find is you'll have lots of introductions, uh, maybe, but very few clients that close. And if you ask your clients, they'll say they're referring you. And then you look at how many new clients you got refer- from referrals and find out it's not many. And and this is why, because you're you're not targeted enough which means you, everything from your referral marketing to your client experience isn't targeted enough to to resonate and be relevant for them. And Michael, that that yeah, that yeah. you know, there's there's something I'd like to pick up on what you just said. There is you know, it, Julie's done a lot of you know replicated research over and over that that we're you know we we find that that clients are reporting that they're referring consistently six or seven times more often than advisor advisors are reporting that they're receiving referrals. Um, and, you know, my belief is that a big reason for that is that um, clients are make, are saying nice things about advisors, but they're not saying compelling things. Um, what kinds of things do you think that, that an advisor can do to help their clients say more compelling things about them when they, when they make that referral in the hopes it'll actually cause an introduction? Well, again, to me, it's 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 all around focus of who exactly are you working with, and what kinds of problems do they have. So, you know, the the advisors that are the most successful in this, I find routinely over and over again, are all people who have some kind of niche, some kind of specialization, some kind of focus. Right? Like if I say I've got a you know, if you've got a complex IRA problem, who do you call? Well, you you call Ed Slot. Ed's the IRA guy. Everybody knows that. And that's kind of the point, right? Like he he becomes the natural referral because he branded himself as the IRA guy, and that's where he focuses. Uh, you know, the advisors that specialize into doctors and dentists just become the go-to person in that space. I was speaking to uh, Scott Hanson recently at Hanson McLean. They built most of their business off of uh, just being just specializing in the employees of utility companies, particularly Pacific Bell. Back back when there was a Pacific Bell before they all merged in together, and and it was it was all of those ongoing mergers and the downsizings of the utility companies over the past twenty years that that drove the bulk of their growth. And they're a two plus billion dollar firm that was built all around knowing how to connect with the utility workers, which are very different than speaking to business owners, which is very different than speaking to. Uh, highly affluent retirees. You know, their average client is five or six hundred thousand dollars, which they got as a pension rollover after uh, hanging cable for twenty-seven years. So, their expectations about what good service and a good experience is is very different than when I'm working with uh, a client who's been uh, a doctor for thirty-three years, making half a million bucks a year, and has accumulated this giant portfolio and has certain expectations about what service looks like. So it it all of it to me builds on what is it that you do to really who are the target clients that you're trying to serve in the first place because that's what ultimately infuses everything that you do from the experience the referral marketing and the rest and and 
you know the 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 people who are the best at those high level touches uh, that that create powerful experiences are doing things that no one else would even do because you wouldn't bother if you weren't so focused on those clients in the first place. There's a firm out in the Midwest that that built their niche around uh, succession planning for young doctors. And a big part of their client experience is they actually made a subsidiary bank that does financing for succession planning for young doctors because they found after working with all these young doctors that the biggest problem was they wanted to go in and buy their practices and no one would finance them. This was like 10 or 15 years ago and was a lot harder to do professional services buyouts. And so part of their powerful client experience and engagement is they made a service specifically dedicated for those clients that solved their most pressing need and it powered them forward to more than a billion dollars under management in about 10 years by going super deep into this niche. But no other advisor I know has a, a bank subsidiary to do financing for young doctor buy-ins, nor would you because it wouldn't make sense until and unless you focused your whole business there and then grew and scaled in that niche. Interesting. Yeah, this, I mean, so great. I always know the best podcasts are where I just don't want to stop them. But uh, we are uh, coming to the end of I our will. time. Um, <laughs> we are. We are coming to the end of our time, but Michael, thank you so much for this. And I mean, honestly, for everything that you do for the industry, because uh, I know you're a, an incredible resource for so many, and I appreciate you taking a little My time pleasure. to talk to us My today. My pleasure. I, I hope it's helpful food for thought. Indeed Absolutely, it is. Thanks Take again. Care. Take care. Hey, folks, Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long. <laughs>